Welcome to the Becker and Broom podcast. My name is Ben Becker. I am a longtime Washington Wizards fan. I am a very part-time blogger over at Bullets Forever. And tonight I am a first-time podcaster. My co-host is Kevin Broom. Say hello. Hey, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So you wrote a piece this week for Bullets Forever about Marching Gortat. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, that piece was, like you say, about Gortat, whose overall production is down, his scoring is down. And so the question was, why? And the answer is really actually very simple. Virtually all of his production decline and 100% of his scoring decline is simply because he's not getting the ball as much. It really is just that simple. The Wizards are just not calling his number, period. So this podcast is really just going to be a more public version of our phone calls for the last 10, 12 years, whereby I pick your brain and learn <laughs> things. So, Well, I the way I see, okay, see, here's the thing, though. The way I view these is that, that you ask me questions and then I learn things because I have to look things up. So <laughs> that's kind of the way well, our phone calls go. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll both learn a little bit. So Gortat's touching the ball less and and – you outlined that in your piece very well. Now, something, mm-hmm. the context of this was very interesting to me, and that is this year's Wizards team as a whole is a better offensive team than last year. Uh, last year's offense, I think, was ranked 20th, and they were had an offensive rating around 105 points per 100 possessions. This year, their offense right. is 15th, and they are, and they're up, I think, three points uh, per 100 possessions. So so what do you make of that? One of the things that happened is that, yeah, the Wizards are up, I think it's about 2.6 points per 100 possessions. The, the league average is up about like 1.6, 1.8. So they've gone up a little bit, but the entire context of the league has changed. The, the league is, as a whole, more efficient this year. So their marginal improvement is not as big as it might look if you're just looking at points per 100 possessions. Average has changed this year. It's higher. So I guess the question is, do you think or do you know enough based on what you've looked at to think that the Wizards offense has suffered as a result of Gortat being less involved? No. I mean, they, they are better on offense. And some of it is in spite of doing things like Letting Markeith Morris be the be their third option, for example, when they've got a guy like Gortat and a guy like Otto Porter, who are both really efficient, essentially languishing in terms of usage, you know, just not getting as many possessions to use. In some ways, it's kind of a little surprising, but I mean, part of it is also that, you know, Beal is playing better. He, this is the best he's ever played. Wall is playing better. This is the best he's ever played. Morris is terrible, but Gortat is just as efficient offensively when he gets to use possessions as he's ever been. And Porter, of course, is just outlandishly efficient. But, yeah. but so you bring up a, you know, an interesting point. Wall's better. Beal's better. Porter's better, obviously. And so some of that, mm-hmm. I think, is likely just attributable to young guys improving as happens all the time in the NBA young guys they grow they work hard they develop their skill set and they just get better and so as a result the offense is probably a little more efficient and I would guess that you would agree that 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 organic improvement is happening in concert with their offensive scheme is probably it's probably better under Scott Brooks than it was under Randy Whitman um, yeah, I'm not sure how much scheme necessarily has to do with it. I mean, maybe some. I mean, I know ball movement is down, period, 
that's actually something we could measure now with the NBA's tracking. And we know that the Wizards' ball movement is down about 7%. That's just touches per possession is down. Touches per game down. It, the ball is basically stickier than it used to be under Whitman. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of it, you know, the improvement is just them shooting better. It's specifically Beal and, and Porter. Um, and Wall, of course, has gotten – he's become a better shooter. He's still not a good shooter, but he's better. And that helps a lot in terms of getting him to the basket and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, Mike Prada had a tweet tonight that, you know, where he highlighted Beal's shooting this year versus mm-hmm. last year. And it was – and he did draw, you know, that very distinct line between Beal under Whitman and under and under Brooks because he's taken more threes and he's taken and he's getting to the line more. And so, look, if they're if they're passing less, but as a result they're driving more and getting to the basket more, and that's you know total conjecture. I don't know that that, that that's what's happening. But at the end of the day, you and I agree that I don't care how many times they pass or necessarily where their shots come from as long as they're successful and they're efficient. And again, like I don't want to I, I don't want to paint the picture that they have a perfect offense because this improvement has brought right. them up to average, you know, right. to 15th Almost in the league average. is the it, it is the it is the most hashtag so wizards thing there is that, you know, here they are right. smack in the middle. So my question to you is and this is you can ask this about anything with the wizards, but just with respect to their offense, where's the upside? How, how does this team get offensively, okay, they've grown from a below average offense to an average offense. And I think without having the numbers in front of me, I think that since they've sort of righted the ship a little bit this year and, and went from being a really putrid team to whatever winning something like, you know, uh, you know going 12 and seven or something over the last mm-hmm. 19, something like that. I think their offense has been pretty good. And so the, the, the question is, where's the offensive upside? How is this team going to continue to get better Well, I think there's a couple of things that they could do. One is they could re- basically redistribute their possessions. And that means less opportunity for Markeith Morris and more for Gortat and Porter. Those two particularly. I mean, Porter, you're talking about coming into the Milwaukee game, he had an offensive rating of 127. I mean, it's just outrageously high. Yeah, we could do a separate podcast series on how much I love Otto Porter. And, you know, I hope and pray that the Wizards understand um, Mm -hmm. how valuable he is. And, you know, if I'm looking at the, if I'm looking just at their two young wings, and we'll talk in the future just about decisions the team's going to have to make going forward and with respect to the salary cap and stuff, to me, Porter is a much more important piece to the franchise. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, he's a better player, um, does many more things overall. I mean, Beal is a terrific shooter, and he's a good scorer. But 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 would you do you recognize do you recognize or would you also agree that sort of the overall narrative in the NBA world is that you know the Wizards one and one A are Wall and Beal, and that Beal. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and and the reason for that is is pretty simple. It's points. You know, Beal is a better scorer. And he scores more. You know, he uses more um, more possessions. He I shoots even more. Say he's, he's a, a really scorer. good shooter. I would, yeah. You know, he's he is a better, or he's a more prolific scorer. You know, Porter is probably the more valuable player, and I think he's the guy who's more likely if if you're going to win 
you know, big, if you're going to contend for a championship, I think Porter is probably more of the guy to do that with than Beal is. But, I mean, there's, I think there's room for both guys to stick around on this team. Going back to your question about the offense, like I said, the possession redistribution would be nice. That would be a, a place to start. You've got uh, Morris at like a 19% usage rate, and he's way below average. You're talking about he's almost 10 points below the league average in offensive efficiency. You've got Wall using 31% of the team's possessions. He's average efficiency. You know, he's yeah. good. Markeith Morris may be a, just a wonderful human being, uh, you know, although given given some of the news that's available on the internet about his days in Phoenix, he he may not. But but Markeith yeah. Morris is not a player I enjoy watching, and it is very frustrating watching Morris repeatedly use a lot of possessions taking what are you know, very, very obviously low yield, low percentage shots. When there are other good scores on the floor, seeing Morris isoing, seeing Morris taking jumpers off the dribble, seeing him or, take contested I mean, it's, long it's one twos. of these, like we were tweeting He's about just, this during the game. It's one of these so wizards kinds of things where Morris is. He's actually pretty good as a post-up player. He's like, you know, 72nd, 73rd percentile. That's pretty good, except he's still below a point per possession. So he's actually, yeah, he's good at so it. So put that in context. What, what, put that in context. What is below? So, so someone who's listening to this for the first time because I begged them to, you know, and my nerdy friend well, just the said league he's below averages, point per possession. You know, what does that mean? Possession. You know, we usually talk about offensive rating in points per 100 possession. The league average is about 107, 108. He's at 97. Right, so he's it's still a really right. lousy possession to give him the ball in the post, even though he's actually a good post scorer for the league. You know, it's he's good at something that's really not very useful. Yeah, if you or anyone who's listening has not read the Dan D'Antoni, yeah, uh, you know no, Mike's brother, <laughs> who's I think the head coach at Marshall, transcript of of him chewing out. Or not chewing out, but basically of schooling a reporter on you know why their offense has evolved the way it has. You know, coming down to basic math. Um, I highly. Re- I mean, th- that uh, what, what Dan that. D'Antoni was talking about there is the basis for the criticism of Randy Whitman over the last every year that he was the coach. Basically, you know, where the argument was, you're taking, you're encouraging your guys to take lots of shots that are inefficient. Now, the the Wizards, I will say that under Brooks. While I like his sets better and I think the results are a little bit better, they are still near the bottom in you know three-point attempt rate. So it's not like Brooks has come in and they've suddenly become a truly quality modern offense. You know, like you said, they are still near the average, optimizing their shot selection. They still have some work absolutely, to do. and some, and I, I think yes, they can get better shots from the guys that they have on the floor for sure. But so, but there's oh, yeah. also the I mean, matter of look at the roster you know Gortat obviously is not shooting threes you don't really want uh, you know you certainly want more shooting threes more than you want him shooting 20 footers but you don't really want him shooting much of either and then you look at the bench and um you know (laughs) right now there's nothing there so you know the, the the one last thing on Morris for now is just the the really frustrating thing with Morris is and He's not so unlike Andre Blatch in this way. He has the skill set to be a really helpful player. I like some of what he does on defense when he's engaged, the way he switches, 
etc. And I and I've liked him a lot when they've used him as a backup five, and they use him as sort of a stretch five, a playmaking five because. When there's no one in the lane and you've got a backup center on him, he can take the guy off the dribble all the way to the basket, and he's a decent passer. So he's got the he's got the skills, but the problem is he is what he is at this point, yes, having been in the 27 league, years whatever old. it is, six years. And, yeah, tw- 27 years old, and he's not going to all of a sudden learn how to play. Uh, he hurts them a lot more than he helps them. I said it was the last thing about Morris, but I lied. I had a, another sad, angry realization about the— the Morris trade a couple days ago. And obviously everyone who defends that trade points to the fact that sort of he's better than what you were going to, two things. One, he's better than what you were going to get at wherever the pick was. And two, his contract's so cheap under the new CBA. And the, you know, if the Wizards had played the rest of the season with whomever at the four, with Chris Humphreys and Jared Dudley last year at the four, and Maybe they would have been yeah, a little well, worse. I, Maybe they wouldn't have. I don't think Morris um, made a bit of difference last season. The, you know, Jared Dudley was actually playing pretty well. And uh, when they switched to Morris, Morris basically played almost as well as Dudley did. When I say Dudley was playing well, I mean kind of he was playing well for him, which means he was basically playing right around league average. No, you're reminding me you and I had a lot of conversations around the trade, uh, you know, and you were basically – told me what was going to happen before it happened. The Wizards played a soft schedule to end the season. They were going to pick up a bunch of wins, and it was going to make people feel good. And um, unfortunately, you know, there was a causality correlation problem. And uh, hey, the Wizards the Wizards specialize in, in those, the front office, in terms of mixing the two in up. The missed, in, in the, yes, the misdiagnosis. But my point with Morris being, if the Wizards didn't have his oh so affordable eight million bucks on the books going into the off season they probably play things differently you know that's that's money that is the difference between them buying Jan Mahinmi for four years and 64 million then and and spending a little extra to get someone quality like Biombo or maybe if they had gone into the off season saying okay we really need a power forward maybe they would have ponied up for Ryan Anderson and at the time, I would have, I and a lot of people would have been pretty concerned if the Wizards had spent twenty million bucks a year on Ryan Anderson. And meanwhile, it probably would have been a good move, or it certainly would have been a better move than having Morris and having Morris and Mahimi. And it also gets to your point about the Wizards aren't shooting enough threes. Well, if John Wall was surrounded by Porter, Beal, and Anderson. And you know he's running pick and roll with yeah, Portot. that's very true. They'd be shooting plenty of threes. There's all, and then you know if if. So if you're spending that money on Anderson, you're not getting Mahinmi. There's well, a whole I mean, sort of domino. Of, not getting Mahinmi. Good would things that could have happened. A good thing. Uh, you know, when we were talking ahead of recording this, you know, I looked up and saw to you know I was taking a look at uh, Mahinmi and what he was like. I looked at him obviously back when the Wizards signed him, and I kind of look you know looked at him anew this evening, and I was sort of astonished. It's just how awful a signing that is. And I'm not even talking because he got hurt. So, okay, so so this, I, I want to I talk about this, and this dovetails a little bit with my subsequent question about your Gortat piece, which is, look, if the Wizards are, are decent offensively, and maybe, maybe they're better than decent offensively, if you look on the last 20 games or whatever, if they're a pretty good offensive team with Gortat not using a lot of offensive possessions— What's the downside of 
you know, if we had a if we had a healthy Jan Mahimi, and we're looking and we're saying resources are scarce, we got to find ways to improve the depth of this team. Gortat's a desirable asset. Someone else would see that and use him more. What what's the downside of of moving Gortat and and letting Mahimi be that low usage first string center? And I think what you what you found when you started to look at that is oh man, Jan Mahimi's had a lot of bad yeah, seasons. Yeah, that's really and the, very the only season ones. of his career where he played any meaningful minutes that was above average was last season. And you're talking about a guy he's 30 years old now. Um, the preceding three seasons, three seasons combined, 3,716 minutes, he played at replacement level. He was pretty bad for three solid seasons. He had a terrific season at age 29 in a contract year. Basically, everything about him said, be very cautious because this is probably a, a you know, a one-hit wonder. This is probably his one good season. Trying to, you know, trading Gortat to then rely on Mahinmi as your starting center, that would make me nervous. I'm in favor, by the way, of going ahead and trading Gortat. I like him. I think he's a good player. I didn't think it was particularly a good idea to trade for him when they did it. I thought that that was kind of a, a bad move, and it was a symptom. I wrote about this on my uh, on my website, kevinbroom.com, uh, back when it happened. And so yes, I thought it was a terrible trade. And then when they re-signed him, I mean, they were using the cap space that they could have used or they were using money that they could have used to sign somebody else and they gave a five-year deal to a guy who's you know who's entering his 30s now he hasn't really declined um like i said except for the fact that he's not getting the ball as much but i'd still be perfectly willing to trade him for the right thing and i've, I've you know been looking around a little bit i mean i think that there are a few options out there that could make some sense um, for both Gortat, for the other team, and for the Wizards. But, I mean, to be honest, this w- roster is pretty bare. Uh, for, they finally have gotten to a point where they're not as reliant on old guys as they were to win some games, to be as good as they are. They were mediocre for several seasons, basically with sort of some rental kind, rental guys, some older guys. And now we're finally to the point where it, the driving forces are wall Porter and Beal primarily. And so that's a good thing. But basically everybody else that's on the roster is expendable. So here would be an optimistic counterpoint, if you will. And the history of our relationship is me squinting to um, to view a Wizards move optimistically and you saying, yeah, it's Squashing possible, it, yeah. but you're probably wrong and, and, and you're right. But But look, the Wizards are a mediocre team right now. No doubt about it. They can expect some, you know, how much? Unclear. But they can expect some more collective improvement from Wall, Beal, Porter. Ubre and Sadoransky, not good productive players yet. But there's reason to believe, given their respective pedigrees, experience, etc., yep. that, that there's upside there. Sheldon McClellan looks like he could be a rotation guy. Obviously, Remains to be seen, but that possibility exists. So you're, that's six young guys right there. The other thing is with Mahinmi, yeah, it's possible that the Wizards bought a lemon. Uh, it's also possible that last year he was in the right situation and he figured it out and he was healthy enough and he was very productive. And if he can get healthy and get on the floor, that it 
you know, he, he could be a very productive 20-minute-a-night center. For him to help the team significantly, you know, he doesn't have to play 35 minutes a night because he's a backup. And But if Gortat... But if Gortat's playing 28, 29, 30 minutes a night instead of 36, 38, he may not break yeah, down well, as quickly. I mean, and sort of what you're getting at is the, maybe more productive the, in the team strategy sort of going forward. Like, so what, what do they do in terms of do you want to try to sort of tear apart the, the sort of the back end of the roster? Say you've got three, your core three. I mean, I, I hear you when you talk about McClellan and Ubre and Sadoransky, and maybe they'll get there, maybe they won't. I wouldn't be adverse to giving them more time so but or do you try to rebuild a roster around those three or do you sort of go ahead and say we've got those three we've got Gortat we've got Mahinmi coming back who can be an adequate backup center and you know and spot starter here and there if Gortat you know has to miss a game here and there needs some rest whatever and then you bring in some veterans, basically, and try to make as much of a run as you can for a couple of years until, um, you know, until those guys really do get too old. And then you just sort of, sort of try to reload and hope that one of or two of Wall, Porter, Beal become truly elite players along the way. And, uh, you know, that Wall becomes Russell Westbrook or something and uh, Beal becomes Ray Allen. And then you sort of get everybody else to sort of fill in around them. And so I could see going either way. I mean, either one is one of those is an option, you know, to sort well, of tear things apart, try to stay in playoff contention, and you know, catch a flyer with somebody who's young or somebody you know, a veteran who maybe has a good year, like sort of like they did with Paul Pierce when you know when Pierce came in had a had a good year, and then they, he left and fell apart. Well, right. I mean, I think we agree that that whether you know whether or not you can make the case for it, it's extremely unlikely. That that the organization, by which I mean Leonsis and Grunfeld, are going to anytime soon get rid of Walbeal Porter and and try to rebuild on the fly. Whether there's wisdom to that or, yeah. or or not, I think those guys are are are, are sticking around. So something. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast this week with Kevin Arnovitz and Ramona Shelburne. It was a great podcast. And I was actually surprised to hear Zach Lowe mention Paul mention the Wizards as a potential Paul Millsap destination. He framed it perfectly in saying that this is a GM desperate to save his job. And I think we can all agree and hope and believe that Ernie Grunfeld's had enough chances and then some to to build a winner in Washington. So he's he, he's on on the hot seat, and and the Wizards must make the playoffs and probably need to make a little bit of noise for him to stick around. And so Lowe suggested that phrase that he uses that Markeith Morris, Kelly Oubre, and an unprotected first at least have to get you in the conversation for right. Millsap. Now, there'd have to be more yeah, salary Wizards, filler. One thing the frankly, Wizards have is salary filler. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. problem is, is they've got salary filler with Long, sure. long contracts. It would be really nice if Andrew Nicholson was on an expiring contract, and you know he wasn't on a four-year contract. But, but you know whether it's Nicholson or Smith and 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 Jason Smith, that is, and you know potentially other little pieces going either direction, you could work. So if 
if Atlanta had huge remorse on passing up on the opportunity to keep Kelly Oubre, because I guess technically they did draft him, and like the idea of getting the Wizards' first-round pick, <laughs> um, because half the league has had it and they figure it's their turn. You know, what What do you think about that? What, what do you think about giving up Oubre and a pick and well, the necessary bodies in order to bring in Paul Millsap? I wouldn't be very interested. I love Millsap as a player, but he's 31. He turns 32, I think, before the trade deadline. And he's basically an expiring contract. I mean, he's got another year, but he's going to opt out and he's going to sign a massive contract this offseason, most likely. And probably, you know, get four years and 28, 30 million a year. Ah, but Ted Leonsis, but Ernie Grunfeld's going to go into Ted's office and say, we can do the same thing with with Millsap that we did with Gortad. We can get him here and show him how great Washington is. Well, and the downside of that is that our team and he'll now got re- probably with four us. players on max deals. What's the downside of that, Kevin? Um, not counting, not even counting Gortat and uh, Mahinmi and their collective, what, $28 million between the two of them. So, I mean, you'd have, you'd have a ton of money. You'd have a very top-heavy roster. That said, I mean, I can see why the Wizards might be interested in it, and it's exactly what you said. You know, if you can replace Markeith Morris with Paul Millsap, you know, last year, for example, you're talking about probably – you know, if, if the Wizards had had Millsap for the whole year, probably an additional seven to eight wins. This year, probably another, and this is a down year for, for Millsap, you're talking probably another four to five wins over the course of the season. If you look at what Millsap does on a normal year, you're probably talking more like six six additional wins. So you're talking about a team that's going, instead of, you know, 40-41, which is where I think, think the Wizards will end up, you're talking more like, you know, mid 40s. And obviously, that's not exactly a powerhouse, but, you know, maybe in the playoffs, the matchups go their way, sort of like they did those couple times when the Wizards advanced. And, you know, maybe you can you can advance. Millsap is a lot better than Morris um, on both ends of the floor. He's a better defender. He's a better offensive player, much better offensive player. He he's actually a, he can stretch. He's not a great three point shooter, but he's adequate. And so he'd be a big upgrade. The only question with him is how quick does he fall off? It's probably pretty quick. We may be seeing signs of that already. So so there's there's a few questions here. One is how much better does Millsap make you now? And I think you you, you touched on that a little bit. He he makes you you know over the course of the season maybe you win five or six more games. You know so they. That they go from being, you know, maybe somewhere between a seven seed and not making the playoffs to maybe they're, a, maybe they're a four to six seed. They get a good matchup in the playoffs, provided they stay healthy, um, which is obviously a big if with any NBA team. We like to think as Wizards fans that that we're more persecuted, but but really, you know, all NBA teams have their injuries. Mm-hmm. But rotations are shorter in the playoffs. You know, you don't have the back-to-backs, you know, four and five nights and stuff. So so maybe if the Wizards have a kick-ass starting five, they win their first-round matchup and, and they upset someone in the second round. You, you know, they, they right. upset... Toronto in the second round, they make it to the conference final. So, so, so there's there's that theoretical upside there. The second question is is a pretty complicated one that that you started to touch on, which is you know going forward. So uh, there's no, I would agree that it makes no sense to give up a first round pick and and Ubre, who I you know he's not good, but he's young enough and has the attributes of someone who could be very good. So. You know, I, you don't flush that down the toilet by any stretch. You don't give up that guy, it, those assets, if you don't intend 
on re-signing Millsap. Yes. And so Millsap's a max guy in this in, in this landscape. And so there then there are two issues with that. One you touched on sort of like, well, if you sign Millsap to a max, one of the other three guys the, the the big three probably has to go and j- just because or or you're paying the luxury tax which the wizards are one of i think five teams that that never has and and they're not going to and so you could say to yourself look Millsap is a great player he's sort of like the auto porter of front court players he's totally underappreciated because he's not flashy and you know doesn't put up huge raw stats but this is a guy who led the nba last year in defensive win shares and he's versatile and and you know the Wizards have morphed into a crappy defensive team, and he would certainly address that. But and so you say, look, I'm not going to pay the luxury tax next year, but that's based on what my uh, salary is at the end of next season. And so you know, I I resign Millsap because I've got his bird rights, and then I find a trade for for Bradley Beal either in the off season or at the trade deadline. As and I and I build my depth that way, and maybe grab a draft pick or two that way, and and we're a better team going forward. So I think you can, I think you could, if you said, hey, Paul Millsap's going to be a better player over the next four years than Bradley Beal markedly, yeah. or than frankly than Otto Porter markedly. Yeah, you I, could, I don't you could, you, you could make that, an argument um, for for why you want to keep him. But the real question is, how quickly is he going to fall off? I would not make a move involving Beal or Porter or Wall to get Millsap. The place to move, you know, as I'm looking at the uh, the, the salaries, would be Mahimi, Gortat, Morris, Nicholson, Smith. <laughs> I mean, basically, they're offseason this year. They would have been so much better off signing guys to one year. They would have been better off giving Jeff Green that $15 million deal that he got down in Orlando and just bringing him in for a year and letting him be Jeff Green here in Washington for a year and and saving cap space for the future rather than giving it to somebody like Mahinmi and Nicholson and Jason Smith. I remember when you told me uh, there was no Santa Claus, or, or, or I should say when I called you to discuss the Nene trade and you told me because I, I said, yep. "Hey, Nene's you know he's super efficient. He's a front court player. You know he's versatile. Blah blah blah." And you said, "And I'll yeah. never forget the term that you used. You said the Wizards bought the ass end of Nene's career. And sure enough, his production dropped precipitously when he got to DC and couldn't stay on the floor, and the Wizards couldn't manage his weight." So in a, in a world where the Wizards, let's say Ted Leonsis said, you know what? Wizards fans have waited long enough. Paul Millsap's a great player. Trade for him, and I'm going to re-sign him. Damn the luxury tax. D- do you think that, you know, if the Wizards yeah. give Paul Millsap a four-year yeah. max, they're buying the ass end of his career? Yes. Uh, I mean, Millsap is already at an age. I mean, he's already thir- going to be 32 this season, and he's already at an age where you can start seeing the physical decline and so the likelihood is that you're going to get the rest of this year he should be decent better than decent he'll be good and then probably next year he'll be pretty good and then after that it's kind of a crapshoot you're talking about 34 35 possibly 36 years old that's that's a rough time that's a time i mean nba is a it's a young man's sport and guys when they get past 30 you, I mean, what you expect is decline. 
you expect them to start getting injured, and you expect them to be less productive. And it's it's just, and it happens to everybody. It just with the like the greats, it takes longer. So Father Time is undefeated. Thanks for nothing, Zach Lowe. We're all going to hope desperately that uh, no one has installed the podcast app on Ernie Grunfeld's iPhone so he hasn't uh, gotten any bright ideas about trading for Paul Millsap. The, the, I mean, I, I look at this from so many different angles, and I think there's yeah. going to be some pain. There's got to be some pain in order to fix this roster. Or, or there's got to be a miracle because, you know, they're uh, – Mahinmi at $16 million a year. Even if he comes back healthy, basically you've laid out that there's reason to believe that he's not going to be that good. Nicholson, Morris, Smith. I mean, outside of Gortat, who at some point is going to decline, they just have nothing up front. And mm-hmm. the problem is is they're going to have to pay people to take these guys to clear salary. Yeah, I mean, this is, what they've, this is what they've been doing, you know. <laughs> And so, I mean, part of, yeah, it's just, it gets frustrating. I mean, it's what they've been doing is is basically selling draft picks, uh, you know, swapping the draft picks for guys like Markeith Morris and like Gortat, you know, where they're trading for a guy who they then had to resign, who, you know, is going to be around for a few years, but it's like you said, is likely to, to start declining. To me, like one of the things that would be great is to go ahead and buy some second round picks, buy some first round picks. Um, and take a few swings at some of these younger guys. And on that cheery note, Kevin Broom, I think what we need yes. to do is focus on the fact that the Wizards are playing better over the last few weeks. They are they are pretty entertaining to watch when they when they show up, which has been more often than not recently. They are entertaining to watch, and I think in the short term, what we're hoping is for the team to just organically get better for Mahinmi to get healthy and for him to be last year's Mahinmi and not the, the one from yeah. the pre, three previous seasons. I would seasons. agree completely. And, uh, and see what we got. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the maiden voyage of the Becker and Broom podcast presented by Bullets Forever. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.